Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Fifth Reformed Church. It's good to be with you this morning, especially if you're a guest joining us online. We welcome you. Thanks for finding your way to our church in these times when we're still worshiping at home. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, we're concluding a sermon series today. It's, it's the eighth in a series called Following Jesus. So uh, I'm kind of hoping today to tie the pieces together throughout the whole series. Uh, but before we dive into that, let's pray, shall we? Uh, God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your goodness in these turbulent times. We don't know what we do without uh, having you as our foundation uh, we know that you're the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever, that you do not change, and we know that you're good. Uh, so God, show us our part in, in the world in which we live. Show us what you'd have us do, what you'd have us say, how you'd have us be. Pour out your spirit on us that we might be your people to this lost and broken world uh, that is in such great need of you. And we do love you, Jesus. Be with us now and uh, help us as we look at the scriptures. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we're finishing up a series today uh, on following Jesus. Back at Easter, we considered uh, our, our inclination, uh, when we bring to mind an image of Jesus, our inclination to bring to mind an image of Jesus during his earthly life. And uh, I, I, I got this idea from a person who is a Christian teacher and, and conference speaker and this person kind of did a test with different groups of people in the church and, and just asked them to bring to mind an image of Jesus. And this person found that over time, no one to whom he ever asked to bring an image of Jesus to mind brought to, Im brought to mind uh, an image of Jesus in his post-resurrection state. Meaning, nobody imagined Jesus how he is right now. You know, the living, reigning, ruling king of the universe, our living Lord who's good and wants the whole world to come back home to him, we, we as Christians weren't bringing to mind an image like that. So really since Easter, we've been unpacking the implications of that vision of Jesus, a vision of Jesus as he is now, the, the king of the universe currently reigning, currently ruling, guiding, guiding the church forward in, in what he wants us to do. So... Uh, we, we also know that Jesus calls us to follow him, not just to think well of him, not just to believe intellectual assertions about him, but to actually follow him, to take steps in our lives to follow Christ. And that, that's really what this series has been about. What are the big pieces involved in following Jesus? What does that look like practically for us as we live out our lives day by day, hour by hour, uh, uh, th throughout our lives. So this series has tried to, tried to put together something of a framework for what it means to follow Jesus. So I, I want to review those quickly. So if you haven't been tracking throughout the series, some of this might uh, go over your head a little bit. I invite you to go back and watch the other messages if you're so inclined. But first, we start with life in Christ. You know, when, when we become Christians, we get a new life. And this is, this is a very important thing. We don't just get a new religion or a new kind of spiritual perspective on our lives. When we come to Christ, we receive from God an entirely new life, a kind of life that's different and brand new. And it's, it's so different and brand new that Jesus described it like 
being born a second time when we enter this life. Followers of Jesus hold this as their starting point, that, that we receive new life from God. We don't just try to rehabilitate our old life. We get a, a new start, a fresh beginning, a whole new life from God. Second, we uh, understand that we're to become like Jesus. Our new life from God isn't static. We don't just kind of receive Christ at a moment in life and then call it good for the rest of life. We're, we're invited into a process where we throughout our lives are to become more and more like Jesus. So followers of Jesus hold this as their goal. This is what they're shooting for, to become more and more like Jesus. But the Bible states very clearly that God is about the work of conforming us to the image of his son. So we cooperate with God in that. Third, identity in Jesus. When we come to Christ, uh, we, our, our true identity as children of God is restored to us. So followers of Jesus hold this as the definition of who they are. Children of God, this is what Jesus said. We're, we're welcomed back into the family, adopted back into God's family. We are children of God. That's our identity. Fourth, purpose from Jesus. Also, when we come to Christ, we not only receive new life, it's becoming more and more like Jesus, we, we're restored to our true identity. We're also restored to our purpose in this world as God's agents, God's representatives. This has been the case from the very beginning. Adam and Eve were created to steward the world, to act on God's behalf in the world. So followers of Jesus hold this as their life's work, that, that they're to be agents advancing God's good purposes in the world and, and uh, Jesus' good intention of, of redeeming everyone and everything in, in, in the world. So that's our life's work. Fifth, listening to Jesus. With our new life in Christ comes an ability to discern God's voice we can actually learn to listen to God. And, you know, primarily we, we hear God speak through his word, both written and preached. But by the Holy Spirit, God also gives us very clear direction in the individual circumstances of our lives. And, and we can learn uh, to listen to God. Now, nobody gets kind of the special hotline to God where we receive very clear direct messages, right? So we're always testing this with our community. But Jesus was very clear when he said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And we can learn to listen to God. Uh, followers of Jesus hold this listening to God as their first step in actively following Jesus. This is the first thing we do when we, after we have the change of mind and, and come to really believe in Jesus, we're aligning our life. The first thing we do is, is begin to listen to God to get guidance for moving forward. Sixth, power from Jesus. When we come to Christ, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible instructs us to, to quote, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, an, it's an ongoing experience. And this really parallels the experience of the disciples. Uh, I, I could ask this question, when did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? It's a trick question. I'm just going to warn you in advance. Your, your mind probably went to Pentecost, that's when they received the Holy Spirit, and you would be wrong. <laughs> Go back and read John 20 again. The disciples received the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on them and said, 
receive the Holy Spirit. That's when the disciples received the gift of the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, they were filled with power by the Holy Spirit. So followers of Jesus hold this empowering from God by the Spirit as their source of strength. And they they go on, a daily kind of thing, they go on seeking to be filled by the Spirit. And finally, family like Jesus. This was last week's message. When we observe Jesus' life, we see that he built a spiritual family around him. It felt like an extended family of both blood and non-blood relationships. And this was his primary community. He welcomed people into this community. The crowds he welcomed in and and did ministry and mission with the people kind of in that context. And it was the the hub from which he launched out into the world to do ministry. And it it wasn't just a community for him. In this sense, it really was a, a community focused on his mission. He turned it that direction. So a spiritual family together embracing God's purposes Uh, for them. Followers of Jesus hold this model as a way to follow Christ in a lost and broken world so loved by God. Not just alone, but to do mission in community. So that's that's the framework for following Jesus that we've unpacked. And then, then today, the kind of capstone message to this series, we look at the two passages of scripture that have been read for us already, that passage from Luke 5 and that passage from Matthew 28. Let's take the Luke 5 passage first. Uh, We read a chunk just because it's hard to divide the story up, and it's it's so rich. There's so much to unpack in this story. But today I want to look at just the the last two verses of this passage, uh, verse 10 and 11. Here they are again. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, to to understand what was going on here, we need a a couple contextual things to really grasp the significance of what Jesus said. Uh, First, back in Jesus' day, a household, an oikos, again, we talked about this a little last week, uh, an, an oikos was oriented around the family business. This extended family of people, 20, 30, 40 people, would all be working together to advance the family business. They all had a part to play. Now, Simon Peter uh, was in Oikos. His his family lived in Capernaum, which was a fishing village by the Sea of Galilee. Thus, their family business was, of course, fishing. So everyone in the family, whether they were actually on the boat fishing or not, they would be involved in that that family business. Some people probably uh, uh, cleaned fish or set them out to dry on the rooftops of the, of the structure that housed the oikos. They, they all had a different role. Some maybe took them to a marketplace to sell, something like that. So they were, they were experts in fishing. This was their family business. That was their, their vocation in life. So that's the first contextual thing. Uh, Peter's family business was fishing. Second, the educational system back in Jesus' day, the, the Jewish educational system, was built around um, uh, k- kind of uh, instilling Jewish, basic Jewish spiritual teaching in their children. And this happened in the synagogue. That was the first layer of the educational process. Uh, but also what was happening at the same time was that that process was always on the hunt for the next generation of rabbis. It was a leadership development process too. 
So in the educational system, there were a couple points of evaluation where students would be evaluated to see if they might uh, have potential to become a rabbi. And if so, then they were allowed to move on in the process. And, and if not, if they were thought uh, to be you know, not of sufficient caliber or something like that to, to serve as a rabbi, then the educational system would say to them, hey, thanks so much. We think you could serve the Lord better by going back to your family and, and serving in the family business, that kind of thing. So then they would go back and take up the family business, kind of return to the family business and the oikos from which they came. Now, the highest level of education was to become a disciple of a rabbi. And to do that, a student would have to make an application to the rabbi, and the rabbi would review the application and make an assessment as to whether that student actually had potential to become like him, the, the rabbi. And if the rabbi had confidence that the student could become like him, that the rabbi would invite the student to come and be his disciple by using the words, come follow me. Then that person would leave his oikos and go to live with the rabbi and, and would become like the rabbi and, and, and become a disciple. So somewhere in that education process, both uh, you know, Simon Peter and all the rest of the disciples were dropped and they returned to their family business, which again, for most of them, was fishing. But then here comes Jesus with this line, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. You're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for people. So what Jesus was doing was he was making a statement to them saying, I am changing everything. You know, I, I am changing your vocation. I'm changing the family business upon which you're focused. You will no longer uh, be a, a fisherman working the Sea of Galilee. Instead, you will be assigned to pursuing people. You know, Jesus was inviting them to join God's family business, which Jesus stated very clearly in Luke 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the family business of the household of God. And as Christians, we've been adopted into that family and invited into the family business to be co-workers with God in the world. It's the family business Jesus described in the Great Commission. Here's what he said in, in the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So there, there it is. I mean, the, the Great Commission, which many of us know well, Go make disciples of all nations, uh, meaning help everyone everywhere receive new life in Christ, become a willing worshiper of Jesus, and commit their lives to following Jesus actively. You know, making disciples means helping people come to know and follow Jesus, and this is the, the great mission given to the church. But in, in that great commission, Jesus uh, gave us not only the what, which was the discipling of everyone everywhere, you know, make, making disciples of all nations, but he also gave us the how, 
the, the kind of top-level strategy by which the church is to go about doing that. It's inherent in the plan he unfolded, and that is disciples making disciples. That, that he discipled 12, that they were to go and make disciples, who would make more disciples, who would make more disciples. You know, that this was to be a, a decentralized, multiplying movement that would stretch out all around the world and ultimately reach the entire world for Christ. So Jesus gave us the what, disciple all the nations, and he gave us the how, growing disciples who make disciples, which hopefully sounds familiar to people from Fifth because that's our church mission statement. We want to focus on that, reclaiming the ground that has been lost. And there's a lot of lost ground, especially in the modern Western church, because we, we don't see a decentralized, multiplying movement happening at all. Instead, we see just the opposite. Uh, more and more Christians are going to bigger and bigger churches. Think about it. There's a centralization happening, not a decentralization. And I would argue that that's contrary to the Great Commission. Now, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not against large churches. I'm just against the the fundamental concept of ministry and mission that we have, that ministry and mission happens more and more in the gathered congregation rather than being decentralized and happening where all of us live. Right? Besides a centralization happening, there's also uh, a, a professionalization of ministry and mission. And, and what I mean by that is that um, you know, somehow many of us in the Western church are feeling like we either don't know enough or we haven't been trained well enough to be at all involved in ministry and mission. And that is, that is not at all in line with the commission that Jesus gave the church. I mean, something somewhere along the line has torn the Great Commission out of the hands of the people of God and, and put it in the hands of kind of professionalized clergy or, or missionaries. And that was not Jesus' intent ever. And, and I would also argue that all we need to do is look around the world at where the church is growing most quickly right now, and we will see that the places where the church is growing most quickly, there is very little reliance on professional clergy, right? There, there's just the, the people of God have embraced the mission of God and are advancing it by the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, so really the only way to reach the goal to achieve the mission Jesus gave us of discipling an entire world is to get back to make, you know, growing disciples who make disciples. Now, th this is all very theoretical, but what does this mean for you and for me, very practically speaking? Well, very practically speaking, it means we need to work this framework. You know, I really think these are the big pieces of following Jesus that we've unpacked in this series. At, at a very base level, we need to be in a discipling relationship where, where we are apprenticing with someone a little further down the road than us, where we are being discipled, and we need to be involved in relationships where we are discipling other people, where we can say to them, you know, insofar as I follow Christ, I, I invite you to follow me. And there are all sorts of practical strategies about how to find and, and, and build that group of people that we can talk about sometime later. But really, it's, it's, we're being apprenticed, and we're discipling other people so that we're, we're pursuing the twin goals, right, of growing in our capacity to advance the family business, right, the family business of God, which is the redemption of the whole world, seeking and saving 
a, a lost world that, that is a, a, a living apart from God. So we're, we're growing in our capacity to do that. And that's, that's when we apprentice with someone discipling us. And then when we disciple other people, we're contributing to the family business to the best that we can now, which ultimately is all any of us can do, right? It is to do our best right now. So we're, we're, we're being discipled and we're discipling others. Now, very practically, this framework, I, I, I hadn't thought about it really until the last couple messages of this series, but one could conceive of this as a, a linear way to approach this. So first, life in Christ. Where do I start? I mean, do, do you have a firm grasp and, and a certainty that you have new life in Jesus? That that is the starting point of the Christian faith, of, of the Christian life. And my understanding of the scripture and all I know of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is that it is God's deepest desire to reclaim people. And not just so that we can know about God, but so that we can know God. And knowing God is eternal life, according to Jesus. That living in a relationship with God is life. It's the new life we receive when we come to follow Christ. So if you are uncertain as to whether you have that life, that's the very first step. Because God says that that life is not only available, uh, that, that he not only desires to give it to us, but he wants us to be sure that we have it. There, there are all sorts of texts in the scripture that refer to this. I think of one in 1 John chapter 5, uh, where, where the apostle John wrote, these things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. The reason he wrote this stuff was so that followers of Christ could know for sure that we've been restored into a relationship with God. So life in Christ, that's where we start. Um, after that, you might ask, what's the point? What's the goal? The goal is to become like Jesus. Again, not just to think well of him or, or believe intellectual assertions about him. It's to become like him. And to be very clear, you know, we look at the life of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He gave his life away. He laid down his entire life on behalf of other people. So when we come to Christ, we are invited into the journey of becoming more and more the kind of people who lay it all down, who lay down our lives, give our lives away for the, the benefit of others, for the good of others, for the life of others. There's this self-giving reality that is a, a, a huge and fundamental piece of this. That's our goal. That's the kind of person we're growing to become in this walk with Jesus in life. That's the point. Third, we grapple with our identity. Who am I really? Because there are a lot of claims in this world that would have us believe different things about ourselves. But, but God says, uh, I, I give you identity. You don't, you don't have to craft your own. You can just receive your identity from me. You are my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I mean, these are things that we need to, to pursue spiritually every day in our lives because it's so easy to believe something else. Becoming like Jesus, identity in Jesus, purpose from Jesus. What am I to do? We're ambassadors of Christ. You know, welcomed into God's family business of seeking and saving lost people in this, in this broken world. That's what we're to do. 
What's my first step in more actively following Jesus? First step is, is learning to listen to God because God is actually guiding and directing us. That's the first step. Where do I find my strength to begin to, to lean into ministry and mission? Not just believing stuff about Jesus, but following him and, and taking the family business upon myself as, as my primary vocation too. Where do I find the strength for that? Well, by the Holy Spirit. We, we go on being filled with the Spirit and God gives us the strength and the power to, to advance his family business. And finally, uh, you know, how do, how do I structure my life? What could my life look like so as to best advance this uh, mission of God in the world, God's, God's family business? And we look at Jesus' example as our model. He, he built a spiritual family of people around him. And he did ministry and mission in the context of that family. And that, that family provided strength and support for him as he ventured out into larger groups in the world. To, to serve and, and bless people uh, on behalf of God's greater purposes in the world. So really you could work those things. I mean, maybe think about it as a chart and, and these are graphs. Where's, the, where's the, uh, the short bar for you? Is it an understanding of new life in Christ? Or do you grapple with identity issues? Or do you need to invest in listening? You know, what, where in these seven things could you invest to more actively follow Jesus now. I mean, it's, it's a difficult time. There's no doubt about that. It is, it, it, there, there are incredible forces at work in our world today that would tear us apart, right? We, we as a church were having a very uh, challenging conversation about human sexuality before the virus came. And then there was a global pandemic. And, and now in our country, the, the, the racial issues are are at the forefront, as many would argue, they should have been for a long time. But it's causing a lot of division, a lot of tension, and we need, as Christians, to know how to engage this. You know, how, how do we engage this in a way that builds unity and helps people along the road toward, uh, you know, a, 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 at least our denomination's goal is a multi-ethnic future free of racism. That's a stated goal of the Reformed Church in America uh, with which I could not agree more. The question is, how do we do that? How do we get there? How do we bless one another? And again, in all these difficult times, the primary thing we can do is look at Jesus and follow him. He will help us know what to do and, and how to engage these things. So following Jesus, the implication of Easter, the implication of the great truth that Jesus really is alive right now that he loves us, that he loves this world, and he wants all of us to come home to him and live in him both now and forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me, please. God, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for your example, Jesus, uh, to which we can look when we wonder what our lives should look like. Help us to become more like you. Uh, help our lives to, to have the, uh, the taste and texture of your life. Uh, help us know where you'd have us go. Help us know what to say and how to respond in our country, in our community, in the, the very real situations in which we're living right now. Uh, God, we love you. We bless you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.